Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to The Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name's Adam. And my name is Jeremy. We're here to discuss Uncanny X-Men number 227, the March 1988 issue, on sale November 17th of 1987 with a cover price of 75 cents. And this one is titled The Belly of the Beast. And on the cover of this one, you have all nine, no, eight X-Men flying out of an explosion led by Storm, who's casting some uh, lightning, let's call it, from her hands. Some of these people don't fly, so whoever drew this cover does not know the X-Men. Yeah. I don't take it as a literal interpretation of their powers. I take it as the X-Men rising from the ashes or Storm's just flying them on a gust of wind. One of the two. No. <laughs> oh, you think you think uh, the artist here, Mark Silvestri, well, thought well, that they all flew? Yeah, I, I think he's been drawing this uh, for a couple of issues and he was like, Chris Claremont, hey. What if they all fly this issue? Yeah. You know what would be cool, Chris Claremont? If all of the X-Men could fly. You know who I like? I like Superman. Want to know why? Because he flies. Let's make the X-Men fly. And Chris is like, yeah, yeah, just whatever. Just don't just do not do it out, outside of the cover. I'm busy with Excalibur. You do what you want. <laughs> you know, they're British, just like me. But they're all kind of they're all kind of in their flying poses. I don't know. Wolverine so. kind of seems like he's like, whoa, I don't like this. That's true. He does. He looks like he's being thrown. But everybody else looks like they're flying. Dazzler definitely looks like she's supermanning. Longshot looks like he's having a good old time. I would argue that Psylocke is in the same sort of uh, condition as Wolverine. Although I find it weird that her hand is behind Longshot's leg. Feels like it should be. Longshot is her puppet. (laughs) Yes. He is working, or she is working him like a puppet. Uh, Havoc, he looks, I mean, everybody's got their hands kind of outstretched. Havoc has his hands like like behind him in like a yeah I know how to fly yeah he he's an old hat at this yeah and uh, Colossus definitely he's got his leg bent in a yeah, traditional flying well actually he's got his uh he's doing the same pose as essentially Rogue is who we know flies as is Dazzler just yeah. in reverse yeah. well but he had uh, Colossus has like one leg bent up Right, right. And uh, Dazzler is just completely outstretched. Well, we can see that Rogue has one knee bent forward. Yeah. We don't know what the other leg's doing. Probably straight out. Suspected straight out. Anyways, cover-wise, it's fine. It's good. I don't mind it. It's a good good drawing of everybody. Wolverine looks silly. (laughs) Whoa, guys! I mean, (laughs) whoa, guys. (laughs) So we open up this book, and we are in Dallas, Texas. We are at Eagle Plaza. The night, the end of the world. There's a hole in the sky, and there's a lightning bolt coming from the hole in the sky, and the lightning bolt is hitting the skyscraper known as Eagle Plaza, and there is an explosion coming out of the Eagle Plaza, all of this in one panel. A lot of information conveyed, uh, com- conveyed in one single panel. Oh, yeah. Uh, outside of the explosion, you got Freedom Force. They're still uh, uh, kind of hanging out there. Manoli, she wanted to jump in after her partner, Neil, but uh, Crimson Commando's holding her back and saying, no, you can't go in there. They, they, The X-Men, Neil, they're all beyond our help. Miss Witherall, don't be a fool! And that's when Pyro's like, guys, everybody, get in here! Uh, uh, wait, uh, Shrimp on the Barbie, we got pictures! Why is he in the van? Uh, I don't know, because he knows how to work video equipment, because he, he was a Navy guy in, in high school. 
he walked by and he was like, crikey, this is awesome. I haven't worked this kind of gear since I was a little twit. Is that an Avid system? Oh my God, it's a video toaster. And do they have Avid in the 80s? No. <laughs> I was trying to dig up video toaster, but I said Avid, which is why I quickly changed it to video toaster. <laughs> video uh, toaster works. I don't think a video toaster existed at this point. This is 87? Yeah, you don't think so? Uh, I think we're a year or two off. Oh. Yeah. I, maybe not. I don't I don't know that. I can't. I don't know the exact launch dates of the Amiga. It, it could be 87. But I, don't I don't know either. I don't, I don't know either, but... Anyways, uh, yeah, the reception isn't very clear, but they're getting a signal. Uh, it's impossible. It's a miracle. But he, Conan, and the X-Men, they're alive. And a very concerned-looking uh, blob and fast guy peer around the corner. Ooh. What's his name again? Collectively saying fast guy? Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> Quicksilver. No. Uh, the Flash. No. Uh, Super Saber. Is that what it is? Yeah, Super Saber, dude. I got it. All right. Good job. <laughs> and that's when we get the title of the comic, The Belly of the Beast. It's written by Chris Claremont, of course, penciled by Mark Silvestri, inked by Dan Green, lettered by Tom Orzakowski, colored by Bill Ray. Anne Nascenti's the editor, and Tom DeFalco is our editor-in-chief. And the X-Men are fighting alongside, or kind of in between, the Vietnamese and demons. They are in Vietnam, and the Vietnamese are fighting gigantic demons. It's, it's messed up, man. And the, instead of getting the omniscient narrator, the most of the book, maybe all of the book, is narrated by uh, Neil Conan, who is essentially reporting. He's got the camera out, and he's introducing us to all of the characters. Actually, it's, it's conveyed in the story that he's introducing the world to uh, all of these characters because he hopes that he's broadcasting, kind of giving a display of their disposition as well as their powers and such. For the record... My name's Neil Conan. Is that how I'm he talks? I'm a reporter for National Public Radio. Yeah, all yeah, of the that's X. That's how he talks. All of the X Men's powers are displayed as they fight the monsters, and just you know, just like any other book could be a kid's first book. We get a rundown of their, well, not really their powers so much as just kind of their physical attributes. We know that Colossus is. Got an armored body, and he's strong, and Wolverine seems to be the boss, and he's got super sharp claws, and Havoc is really scary because he has the power of the sun. What are we compared to that, he pontificates. Psylocke and Dazzler are shooting people with their collective powers. Psylocke's helping Dazzler to see because she's still got a mask on her face. Longshot's kind of a movie hero-ish sort of guy supposedly his power is luck everybody knows that except for wolverine <laughs> i'm told he's lucky in the past few seconds where i entered this building and the building blew up rogue leaned over and said that guy over there he's lucky super lucky <laughs> so i hope it's catching he says and last up is rogue her powers speak for herself and she's thinking to herself that it don't quite sit right uh, saving the North Vietnamese army folk after America fought them back in the war and all. But then again, they're humans and these demons look like they're up to no good. That's it. That's, a, that, that's, that's you know, I can, she's, she's got a viewpoint. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, we human beings got to stick together, she ultimately decides. I don't like that Neil Conan says her powers speak for themselves. It's not very newscasterly. 
Well, I I suspect that the images that we're seeing, he's he's like moving the camera to like focus in on Rogue and follow her around, and she's like punching. What if you're and visually flying. impaired, Jeremy? Well, then you don't know what's happening. <laughs> Wait, her powers speak for herself? What? what? <laughs> She's not talking. I don't know who's what's a rogue. Uh, forgot to mention a civilian. Don't know if she's part of the team. A pilot named Madeline Pryor. And she's thinking to herself, what is she doing here? She's a normal woman. She doesn't have any powers. Why is she with these X-Men? As little as I am with the X-Men, I'm less than nothing without them. And she trips over a dead body and sees off in the distance Forge. Uh, but it's not... It's not our forge. It's a it's, young forge. Young man forge with both legs intact. And the body of all of his friends are around him. And she sees him uh, suck the souls out of the bodies of all of the uh, his friends, his fellow soldiers, collects them into a ball of sorts and spits their life force up into the sky, which opens a hole in the air to allow... Uh, more demons, I guess, or maybe this is, she's just seeing how the demons got there in the first place. So a bunch of demons are coming out of the sky and attacking the Vietnamese. To me, it's not really clear what's happening. Like, I mean, Forge is doing this and then he turns around and he's like, what's that? So many screams, all of the screams. I should be happy. This valley obscenity. And then he radios in for help and says, I need an arc light. So I guess my question is, and maybe, maybe this explains it. But I have a cooler idea for a story. So I think he does. He, he takes the souls of his soul of his of his guys. We know that. And then he he opens up, I guess, let's just say a hole to hell or somewhere. And all the demons come out. Did that really happen? And did he then order the arc light to destroy all the demons? Or is this all just kind of a uh, an embellishment of, of real events by the adversary? I could go with either. I mean, I, I think I think we are seeing um what actually happened. However, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it was a little bit embellished. You know what I think would, would have been neat, and it's never really said, it, it, that if this pocket of reality like really did happen, but this pocket of reality was moved to Eagle Plaza, like a time shift type thing, and all of these events are what Forge remembers, but in his context, he was he never left Vietnam. And so like when all of this adventure is over, like this pocket was returned back to its normal reality. And then, you know, time went on to, you know, kind of like a time loop type deal. That'd have been neat. That's too sci-fi. This is a kid's, <laughs> this is a kid's comic. Anyways, yeah, that, that doesn't happen. So I guess, the, yeah, the Arclight is called out. A bunch of uh, B-52s come out and bomb the bejesus uh, out of this Vietnamese jungle. Honestly, this comic is pretty mystical as it is. See, my idea could have worked. <laughs> and, you know, even if you didn't wrap your mind around it, you'd be like, whatever, it's the X-Men. <laughs> <laughs> They went to space. They visit Shi'ar. It's all good. Um, yeah. And then uh, Madeline, I think, says, did you see X-Men? What Forge did? She says accusingly. Yeah. And I think they all did see it because there is a panel where it cuts to um, Dazzler and Rogue and Longshot. And they're all they're, no, no, nobody's saying anything. And they're all oh, just right. staring at Forge. Or in the same direction as Madeline, so presumably at Forge. Yes, definitely. So we switch our attention to a citadel up in the sky. It's above the jungle, and the adversary is here, and he's got so much to say. He has. Uh, he's still wearing the body of Najer, and uh, he has trapped Storm and Forge 
and Roma, Lady Roma, remember her, inside of a pillar. So they're like kind of coming out of the uh, cement, I guess. Yeah. They're trapped. They, they can't escape. Uh, so I guess when Dazzler called her powers home, the adversary intercepted or had planned on this contingency or whatever, but everybody's captured and they're all going to watch as the world ends, right? I think that's the plot uh, here. <laughs> yes. I mean, yes. listeners, you have to see this page. There's just balloons all over the place with so many <laughs> words. It's crazy. Storm attacks. Uh, using her lightning powers, but he's a god, and he says, uh, you can't really stop me with your lightning powers. And um, he kind of taunts Roma and says, you know, this is this has been a great contest, but you and your, you and your pets are beaten, and Roma thinks to herself, not so adversary, as you shall, shall soon learn. Dun, dun, dun. So we go back to Dallas. Manoli's trying to get uh, two-way transmission working, but it's not. We can receive, but we can't communicate. So all they can do is watch. Neil is, uh, I think, broadcasting. There's nothing left, Manoli. This valley has uh, is as barren as the surface of the moon. Maybe that's for the best. Sorry my face keeps share, uh, shaking. Horror does that to you. Hey, this guy talks like Chris Claremont writes. <laughs> yes, he does. And he, so he does a quick little interview with Wolverine. And he asks him about Forge and what Forge did. Do you think he had second thoughts? Get that flaming lens out of my face, bub. Or was the Arclight bombing strike an attempt to hide the evidence of this atrocity? So I guess that pretty much clarifies that it did happen that way. He channeled a bunch of demons out in Vietnam, called the Arclight, and then just kind of walked away. I was like, yep, nothing to see here. Moving along. <laughs> do 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 <laughs> Neil's like, I'm a reporter covering a story. Mulvern's like, busybody. He makes the argument that don't you guys want to tell your own story? You always go, you always talk about how you're outlaws and unsung heroes, but now's your chance. I mean, if the broadcasts are getting through, there's probably a lot of people watching this, and I'm giving you an opportunity to tell your story. So don't be a jerk. Havoc's like, that sounds like a great idea, and long overdue. Problem is, where do we go from here? Psylocke and... detects the, the forge, but not young forge, modern forge, up in that and, citadel up in the sky. And she also detects Storm and two others who resonate with such powerful lives that it buggers her imagination, or beggars, beggars her imagination, not buggers. That's a totally different thing. Rogue says that she'll go scout the place. Wolverine offers some leadership advice by saying, be careful, Rogue. <laughs> <laughs> So she flies up at top speed, and I think the adversary has channeled Rogue's powers to create like Storm's a, powers. Storm's powers, rather, to create like a hurricane around the Citadel. So as soon as Rogue hits it, she is just tossed away. Yep. Lordy, this is gonna hurt, and she comets into the back into the ground and leaves a. Well, she kind of hits the ground, but in the next panel, there's like a long path where she dug up a lot of the dirt hey mr conan just because i'm cute don't mean i ain't tough watch yourself madeline my costume's more rags than not anyone touches their bare skin to mine i'll absorb their psyche and powers don't you think the x-men are like yeah we know every <laughs> time well yeah but she's like i heard mr conan was telling about everybody their uh everybody's powers but he didn't mention what mine were he just said let the viewers see for themselves, and I'm worried about my accessible viewers. <laughs> right. Handy, my uh, vision-impaired viewers. He said my powers speak for myself. Well, 
I don't know how stealing somebody's psyche can speak for themselves. Mr. Yeah, Conan. honestly, it doesn't. You're not doing very good at this, Mr. Conan. Mr. Conan, you're a liar. I'll speak for them. Yeah, yeah, shut up. <laughs> mission, everybody. We got a mission. We need to come up with a completely ridiculous plan to get up there. So, uh, uh, let's see. Who comes up with the ridiculous plan? Is it Havoc? No, it's Dazzler. Uh, it's Dazzler. <laughs> so, Dazzler's ridiculous plan, which is Kind of clever from a writing standpoint in that effectively everybody gets to use their powers in some form in this issue. It's to fling Longshot up there because his bones are hollow and he's light. And he'll be a kite that drags the rest of the X-Men in as the kite's tail. And to get that ball rolling, Rogue will like fling him up there and the rest of the X-Men will ride along. And so that's, they kind of commiserate about that for a little while, like, should we do this? Yeah, let's do it. Neil Conan's like, oh, I got to come with you. So is Madeline. Yeah, because, you know, you can't leave him down here. No. And Colossus and Neil are the last ones to stay behind. Um, and Colossus is going to kind of tether the, the line and hold them back until the last second. Um, however, before this happens, Neil Conan gets a chance to let Madeline have some last words uh, where – she quotes Martin Luther King, essentially. Yeah. A world where people are judged by the content of their character, not by race or color or powers. She sort of tacks on that last bit. Oh, are you sure Martin Luther King didn't? I'm pretty sure he said powers. Oh, okay. <laughs> In fact, I'm positive. He, yeah, yeah. That sounds about right. He was very forward thinking. He, yeah, he knew. He knew the possibility of mutation. He's like, look, we've suffered through it. There's no reason for mutants to suffer through this. I'm going to preempt this. <laughs> He says, we're all human beings. Why can't we all be treated like it? Not freaks, not monsters. People, be nice if that dream came true. Unfortunately, chances are... Wait, wait. <clears throat> Unfortunately, chances are none of us will be around to see it. I have a son, though, and a husband. Be nice if they could. It's a nice close-up of her face. Yeah, it's very tender. She's, she's thoughtfully providing this information. Neil Conan likens this whole thing to, like, the charge of the light brigade into the valley of death, the valley of death, the belly of the beast, the titular phrase. Yes. So as uh, Colossus tethers the whole thing down, he realizes that if he doesn't transform to his human uh, flesh and blood uh, uh, side, he, he they won't ever get to the citadel and as we know he his now normal phase is steel and his alter form is flesh so it's extremely difficult for him to shift but he does and off they go i must transform despite the pain to flesh and blood and neil conan's thinking about how he doesn't want to die and this is crazy but what a way to go what a bunch of cool guys to go with eh and so just like that, they make it through uh, long shots, the first one through, because he's the kite, and he takes some of his knives and throws them at Naze, and uh, he's very confident. He's like, I knew you'd try it again to reach the citadel, but to actually succeed, magnificent. But then he's like, what? The blades! Their substance contains cold iron! And that's when we learned that certain types of metal might actually damage the adversary and this is this is like team x-men essentially because then we'll uh, uh rogue flies in she goes in for the kiss to absorb his powers to suck away as much as possible so that wolverine can come in after and use his claws to cut him up unfortunately and, uh, 
kind of cool because he's like clawing at her back as she's kissing him and she, she thinks to herself, yeah, you can claw at my back, but that's just going to help me absorb you even faster. So then she realizes that this plan's not going to entirely work because adamantium, while a very strong metal, does nothing to Naze because it's not iron. Naze just bats and him away. She knows about uh, this adamantium conundrum because she has kind of absorbed Naze's and also the adversary's powers and minds and souls and all the stuff that Rogue does. And then Colossus is flying in, and even though he was at the back of the tail, he was somehow, maybe they played like a wild game of telephone to get this information back to Colossus, but he says, Longshot's blades are steel alloy. Even though Nas said that they're cold iron, ah, whatever, <laughs> they caused they caused uh, full pain. Logically, then the adversary may prove even more vulnerable to my living steel armor. So he transforms into the Colossus that we know and love. And he's like, what? You're not supposed to be part of this game. I am Colossus villain and where stand the X-Men? There stand I. And he goes straight through Naze. Yeah. And you see like Naze get ripped in half. In, it's pretty gross, actually. In a like a more than normal amount of violence in a Marvel comic panel. Yeah, like he's ripped in half. There's he's blood. It's red, but out of the skin, which pretty much just disappears, we get a shadow creature. I guess the true form of the adversary. Roma, my sly sweetling. I didn't think you had it in you. You cheated. You brought in a ringer, and I'm I'm the ultimate trickster. You tricked me. <laughs> oh. Uh, Rogue knows everything because she absorbed his power, so she casts the same spell that Forge... That, that Naze cast way back in the day. So wait, uh, Na, the real Naze taught Forge, who, I guess, adversary ab absorbed all the abilities, and then Rogue absorbed those abilities... It's very convoluted. Well, but anyway, she casts a well, spell. Well, no, she, 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 she's using Najee's abilities. She's not using Forge's abilities. But, I mean, yeah, I mean, Najee did eventually teach Forge, so okay. I guess it's all the same spell. Yes. Uh, now they're mine. Uh, only temporarily, he says. He's getting pushed into this portal. Everybody's using their powers. Uh, the um, column is weakening, which allows Storm and Forge to escape. Roma's still stuck in there. And so long as he remains, I remain his prisoner. So all of the X-Men, Storm using her powers, which everybody's kind of surprised about, Dazzler, Havoc, they're all just shooting to keep the adversary into the portal. And he's like, you keep going. Like, I'm, I might be stuck now, but as soon as you run out of power, I'll be right back. Yeah, didn't I tell you guys? It, it's metal. Metal's the thing that hurts me. <laughs> uh, and I'm a god, so, you know, carry, keep, keep going. It's all good. But that's when Rogue says, uh, Najee didn't have the, the uh, strength and neither do I, but Forge does. Or I guess Psylocke knows that because she, she gleans it from his mind. That awareness, pure as crystal in his thoughts. This is the foe, the battle he was consecrated from birth to fight. No, says Forge. Storm, off-panel, says, Forge, if you have the secret, tell us. If you possess the skill in the goddess's name, use it. I can't. Can or won't, says the adversary. What a guy. So full of fear or shame. Or is it vanity that he'll keep silent even if it means his world's obliteration? Storm says she understood, which makes no sense to me, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> she talks about how she, uh, her plan was to have the X-Men fake their deaths and disappear, but somehow this is all ironic for her. 
Well, but the, uh, I, I guess. Oh, okay. So here, here's where it all comes around. Uh, in order for Forge to work his plan and kick the adversary out, the X Men actually have to die. And it's it's a little. So it's kind of told out of order. So Storm says that yes, her plan Omega to to fake their death so they can strike without risking their family. But now she's caught by a uh, by her own tree by a lion who got who will not go away, the X-Men must truly die. And that's when Forge says, yes, I open yes, the gate. Remember, remember that flashback you saw earlier where I was sucking out the souls of my friends? Well, in order to win the day, I have to uh, put back some souls of some other friends, but this time they got to be willing to do it. Yep. And it's nine. The number has to be nine because I guess he stole nine of his buddies. There happen to be eight X-Men and a Madeline. So conveniently, Madeline gets to stay behind. Neil Conan gets to go home, though. No, and, Madeline's uh, going to be part of the spell. Neil Conan gets to go home. Yeah, that's what I meant. Oh, okay. Maybe that's not <laughs> what I said, but that's what I meant. So Neil pulls out the camera. He captures this whole thing on there, uh, the sacrifice, the plan, what Forge has to do. And Madeline steps up to the camera and says that... Uh, she expected as much as that she was going to have to die with the X-Men. And so says, Scotty, wherever you are, I wish you all the best. Find our son. Keep him safe. Raise him well. I love you. Goodbye. You know, Jeremy, hundreds of female fans and maybe some male ones are going to replay that I love you over and over again. I love you. <laughs> uh, if I had that sort of internet meme ability, uh, I would flaunt it. But... <laughs> I don't think that that's going to happen, Adam. No, I don't think so either, but <laughs> I, I like the idea. Havoc and uh, Roger still blasting in the background. It's kind of a nice touch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're trying to keep the adversary in. So Forge, pew, pew. Forge casts his spell. I mean, just like that. There's like very little fanfare here uh, and just zaps away all of the X-Men souls into a big new light ball and hurls it at the adversary, which pushes him into, uh, I don't know, an oven, it <laughs> looks like. <laughs> and some stone doors are closed and the scales, the, the scales are balanced. The ghosts are gone. The spirits of his friends are finally free to rest in peace. But I tell you, Roma, says Forge, the price now, as then, isn't worth the victory. So this is all full circle. Forge's whole life, Forge brought this about and now he's finally closing the circle. And Chris Claremont must have realized that he only had five pages left and was more interested in the epilogue because, <laughs> uh, yeah, he wrapped that all up in like one page. Yeah, I I like all of that. I think it's a neat idea. I just wish that we would have had a little bit more of that sort of background of Forge sprinkled out through the last 20 or so issues so that when we get to this issue, it's not like, oh, so that's what everything's been about. <laughs> Because to yeah. me, it just kind of seems like everything that has occurred, like with the adversary and Storm, the beginning of the fall of the mutants, uh, didn't really have a plan. I feel like that's a common criticism of X-Men is that you have all this buildup and and you're it's very intriguing what's going on. And then everything gets revealed at the very end. Again, whereas it's, it, 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 it needs that it needs that. Um, I don't know. It's, it seems like it's missing elements of storytelling in there. Just seeds planted throughout, like, so that you could go back and be like, oh, oh, oh. But again, I mean, they were churning these out and probably not making all that much money. So not saying that he was phoning it in, but he probably didn't have that much time to plan out two years in advance. Plus, I believe very soon the X-Men is about to go by month or no, no uh, oh, bi-weekly. Yeah, it is. For so. better or for worse. <laughs> 
So flip our attention uh, to Muir Island where uh, Kitty's okay. Yeah. I mean, she's been okay since Fantastic Four. Yeah, she was like... Like they felt like they had made some progress in or in a Fantastic Four X Men, but we didn't see her actually solidified. I thought she was. No, she was like turning into vapor, and then Doctor Doom or Mister Fantastic swallowed his pride, and Doctor Doom helped, and they pulled a bunch of levers, and then at the end of the issue, it was basically Kitty kind of reformed in her tube, hanging out with Franklin. Yeah, but didn't somebody at the end say she's gonna get better? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so, so here here we are. So here she is. I'm she's not complaining. Better. I'm just saying, like we, you know, we went from from Cloud Kitty to she's okay, Kitty, and that's okay. I'm I'm cool with that. She's hanging out with Lockheed. She's watching the news, and she sees the death of the X Men. She's very sad. When Moira bursts in on the TV screen and a little picture in picture and says, "I've got a surprise for you, lass." So she runs downstairs. No, she well, doesn't. She, she runs. Well, she goes downstairs. I mean, she phases she, through. She the doesn't walls. take the stairs. <laughs> It's still downstairs. I mean, how else she goes? I, she can't. I can't say she goes down walls. She's like Kitty, or she doesn't. She doesn't say her own name. She, Kitty, Kitty goes downstairs and shouts her own name. <laughs> she says, hey, "Everybody, it's me, Kitty." She says, "Nightcrawler, you've awakened from your coma." Gosh, it's been so long since we've been able to use that voice. <laughs> and and this one, Guten Morgen, Katzchen. I missed you too. <laughs> He's awakened from his coma, and Moira thinks that given some time, he'll be as good as new, and everybody's happy except Nightcrawler's like. What's wrong? The X-Men isn't it. It's bad, right? Oh, Kurt, it's the worst. (laughs) And we flip back to Dallas. Uh, Forge and Neil Conan teleport or whatever to what used to be the entrance of Eagle Plaza, which is now an obsidian glass pile. Yes. Uh, Although we should point out that Dallas is back to normal. There are no dinosaurs or destroyed buildings except for maybe Eagle Plaza. Right. Everything's back to normal. Yes, everything. Yes, it's, a, it's as if none of that happened. Yay! <laughs> Neil and Manoli um, embrace. Forge walks past Freedom Force. Mystique has words for him. Why their souls? Why not your own? I cast the spell, Mystique. I couldn't be a part of it. Murderer! Murderer! So then we go to Roma's Starlight Citadel, which I guess is where the battle occurred. The adversary must have just co-opted the Citadel. Roma casts a spell that draws nine souls out of the oven stone tablet thing. <laughs> and of course, they are the X-Men and um, they're alive again. And it turns out that they were dead. They had to die in order for it to work um, for the the adversary to be banished. But uh, as a reward, uh, Roma, being a goddess and guardian of reality and whatnot, was able to bring them all back to life. Well, but it's a little deeper than that. She says, uh, such a gate as this, such a being as the adversary can never, must never be locked away forever. For from such primal chaos comes change, and from change comes growth, foul and cruel that it may be, the universe needs him. I was getting there. The The adversary is not dead. He's just kind of being locked away for a while. Although I don't know if we ever see him again. 
Uh, not that I know of, but it's kind of a neat idea is that like the adversary is sealed up and he literally was sealed up for however long the cell or the spell was cast. So maybe the adversary is locked up wherever he is. And he's like, well, one day I'm going to get out of here. But he, he just assumes that the X-Men's souls are never retrieved. So he never tries to get out again. Well, I mean, according to Roma, you can't not have the adversary if you it's, it's sort of like you can't have good without bad sort of thing. Right. And so which is I'm fine with all that and so she yeah, says that's good she she can return them to earth the moment they left off free to pick up their lives again or any other world reality wherever they want to go world is their oyster and wolverine says strikes me aurora your plan omega may have worked after all if everybody figures this dead and uh roma says well, well you guys were dead i, I brought you back I, I told you that already <laughs> Uh, your lifelines were broken. What you undergo now is rebirth. Whatever. <laughs> Maybe it's an opportunity. We wanted to act with a lot more freedom than before. What about our family, says Dazzler. Oh, and Dazzler's face is normal again. Yep. So that's nice. Yeah. It's too unfair, Wolverine. Too cruel. Dazzler has no family. Her mom and father were killed. What is she worried about? Doesn't she still have a dad? No, he was killed. Remember? Oh. In like the, I don't know, 38th or 39th issue, he was like possessed or something to get at Dazzler. But didn't she have like a secret other mom or something? Oh, I don't. Yeah, she's, I think fake mom was dead, but a real mom's not dead. And she might have a sister too that didn't yeah, die. I think, yeah, I think she does have a sister because her sister had weird mutant powers or something. Yeah. Yeah. Or she didn't have mutant powers, or I forget. I don't remember. <laughs> I don't think it matters. Uh, Silox like, and if we do as you ask, Allison, how then do we protect them? Which is better, Blondie hurting them this way or burying them? Because I guarantee they're going to die. <laughs> Absolutely, with no uncertainty. Yes. Should not the needs of the many, my friends, take precedence over the desires of the few? I just watched Star Trek 2. It's an amazing movie. <laughs> Spock, he sacrifices himself for the needs of the many. I so, guess, yeah. Havoc and Madeline also agree. Yep. Because this, this is the way that Chris Claremont wants it to go. It's not None of these are really good arguments, but whatever. It's fine. Uh, so then Roma says, uh, then you are agreed, and that is for the best. I salute you, X-Men. Magnificent, though uh, you were as heroes, all of you might wish to be. Uh, now you can do much more because you have become legends. Wolverine is short. He is super short. Uh, and that... That wraps up The Fall of the Mutants, Volume 1, trade paperback. Oh, my. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, so, uh, oh, go ahead. Yeah, Fall of the Mutants, the X-Men Fall of the Mutants. Overall, uh, a pretty good story. Um, one, I think maybe one could argue that there might have been some filler in the middle issue, but I think we, you know, we talked about that one, and, and if, even if it was filler, I kind of enjoyed what was happening, the kind of getting a little bit deeper with... Uh, um, freedom Force, seeing that they're not just one-dimensional cartoony villains. But uh, yeah, I, I've uh, of the three Fall of the Mutant stories, uh, I feel that this one is the far, far and away the more superior of all three. I guess I'd agree with that. Yeah, so. I, I still think that the Fall of the Mutants title could have been perhaps rethought. <laughs> 
yeah, well, I think somebody came up with it and it was like, yeah, it's catchy. And then somebody drew that, the Fall of the Mutants logo with the 3D letters that are going down. Like, yeah, that's awesome. And they were able to drum up all these tie-ins and such. Uh, as a matter of fact, you know, one of the tie-ins is the mutant registration. Do you remember that? The the little card insert that was in a few of the comics? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you ever fill one out? No, I wasn't. I wasn't cool back then. Oh, I, 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 I didn't fill one out either. But I was playing Marvel Superheroes, the role-playing game at the time, and I really wanted to transcribe my character onto one of those cards and, and mail it because the prize is if you were randomly drawn, your uh, mutant would be featured in an uh, ec, uh, a mutant title that Louis Simonson was writing. So do we ever know who that is? We do, and it's such a letdown in my opinion. <laughs> Who is it? I will. I'll tell you when we get there. Is it in the pages of X Factor or the pages of New Mutants? X Factor. Okay. I have enough to go on. (laughs) Although originally I thought it was in the pages of Excalibur, but I would learn many years later that that was not the case. That's not written by Louis Simonson. It's not. But I, at the time, didn't know the difference between Louis Simonson, Chris Claremont, or, well, (laughs) I guess that's the only two people writing mutant titles at this point. There was just writer... And artist. No, to me, it was all Stan Lee. Because everything said Stan oh. Lee presents. I'm like, oh, this dude, he's busy. He just does it all. <laughs> well, he was busy in the 60s. In the 60s, yes. And in the 70s, he was in Hollywood doing blow and selling his titles. <laughs> <laughs> well, trying to, at least. No, he sold them all. That's why we have crappy Fantastic Four movies. Well, no. I mean, there's a whole story behind that crappy Fantastic Four movie. I'm not talking about the Roger Corman one. Like, I know we all know what that was. That was a cash grab so that Corman could get paid. But I'm talking about... uh, What other Fantastic, crappy Fantastic Four movie is there? 100% of all of the ones that were released. Like the the ones by Sony? Yeah, Rise of the Silver uh, Surfer and... Or or Fox? Yeah, all of them. You're saying those sales that Stan Lee made in the... In the 80s, resulted in Fox buying up the properties in the, like, 2000s? I believe you could draw a line from the release of the Fox Fantastic Four to the deals that were made in the 70s. Absolutely. I don't know. Yep, absolutely. I don't think so. And that's why they're struggling to get their, all their properties back is because they were all sold out during the 70s because they were going to go Hollywood. And the only thing that came out of it was the Incredible Hulk for the longest time. And a little bit of Thor. They did some Thor uh, tie-ins to Incredible Hulk. In the oh, Punisher movies. There was a Daredevil uh, tie-in to Incredible Hulk. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. So trust me, man, I've done the research. It was a Captain America movie, Punisher movie. I, th- I think it's I, just, I, I think it's more complicated than you're than you're uh, letting it on. I'm oversimplifying, but if he doesn't make the deals he makes, then Fox doesn't have them now. I don't think Fox dealt with Stan Lee at all. I guess is what not I'm in saying. the seven. I'm just I say you can draw a line. I didn't say that as a straight line. I think there's some sales and some intermediaries and some wheeling and dealing and bargaining. Uh, okay. But but eventually that's how those rights end up with Fox because of the All deals right. that were made in the 70s. I can agree with that. All right. Uh, we did get some communication, uh, a couple of them on the supplemental material. Uh, Craig Fairhome writes uh, in and he says that he'd like to have more in-depth recounts on the supplemental material, but he realizes that we would then have a three to four hour podcast in addition to all of the extra reading that we would have to do. Uh, He does comment though, that sometimes when we say we read the latest X comic and nothing happens, it seems to be a lazy review. 
Uh, it does. Well, that's definitely a lazy review. Hang on a second. First of all, it does seem to be a lazy review, but sometimes you literally do read New Mutants and it's like, I read this and nothing happened. <laughs> because we're here trying to cover like the things that are paramount uh, to the uncanny X-Men universe. And sometimes... A lot of times lately in New Mutants, to be specific. And I think coming up in Fanta- or, uh, I mean, X-Factor, it just doesn't have any bearing on anything. Right. I mean, you know, it has bearing on its own stuff, but we're not really covering yeah. its own stuff. We're trying to keep it sort of X-Men-centric so that if it revolves around the main story that we're doing, which is Uncanny X-Men, then we'll, we'll kind of talk about that. Um, and sometimes, yeah, we will gloss over some of the the minutia of x-factor and new mutants and what other you're gonna love this week's uh, new mutants review <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't even read it i just thumbed through it and i was like actually you know what i skimmed it. it it looked yeah anyways um he goes on to say uh the x portion of the marvel universe got very big horribly convoluted and that eventually every fan starts ignoring chunks but those chunks are also things we the listeners are looking for all these years later hopefully everyone else agrees uh ultimately we still have gi joe in the transformers comics if it turns out all the responses say to stop covering any x book i think craig or greg is saying like if we did full stop right now and just started doing gi joe and transformers he would keep listening to our podcast maybe with the supplemental should turn into just gi joe and the transformers i could get behind that <laughs> we just talk about this month's gi joe and transformers or maybe we start from number one and talk about number one gi joe and transformers and every every supplemental episode will be about that <laughs> that one, could be fun yeah, it could be one uh, one thing i can say about covering chunks of the uh x x universe uh it's it, it'll be interesting um because we we tend to cover the things that we know are important uh, and not too terribly soon. But but soon we're going to get to a point where we won't know what's important to the future because I know I'll get to a point where I, you know, stopped reading and don't have a hang. Oops, shit. Where I stopped reading and won't have a great handle on what's important to the future. So it's not, we, we do tend to have fun with the stuff that is important that we kind of didn't know about there's been a lot of things that we've covered that uh filled in some gaps of things that i'd only ever written as that or seen as that little asterisk you know as seen in whatever comic book marvel team up number whatever and we covered it and i was like oh so that's what they were talking about and those are cool i just uh i feel like those maybe become lesser and lesser i feel like the x-men kind of like well the mutant universe kind of just becomes its own thing that just says like oh yeah the avengers do things too but maybe yeah, they're, the, they're, the the less we know about where it's going to the less we're going to have that filling in the gaps so we'll, we'll keep trying but but just bear in mind that we run out of kind of our own um uh our own expertise and uh basically you know we'll we'll we won't be experts not that we're experts right now but it'll be like oh okay <laughs> If you think we're bad now. Yeah, just wait until, I don't know, the mid-300s where it's like, what? Bishop did what? I don't understand this. Who are all these characters? There's that flame mouth guy. I don't even know. I saw him on a cover of something. Is he an X-Man? Yeah. See, that's yeah. that's where things are going to really fall apart for me. Who is that flame mouth guy? He was he, in Generation X. Yeah, but he was, he was in many of the X-Men, too. Oh, yeah, he does eventually end up in like a terrible run of the X-Men, as I recall. 
I have a trade paperback from that run of the X-Men, and I guess we'll talk about it when we get there, but it's like... Oh, yeah. The, <laughs> the first issue in the trade paperback is like, the X-Men, as you know them and love them, doing something with Magneto. And then at the end of the issue, everybody quits the team. And then the next issue, it's all of these people that I have no idea who they are. <laughs> it was really hard to read like the next eight issues because I'm like, I, I don't know what's happening. So... Well... That'll be interesting to cover then. Yeah. So anyhow, we also got uh, some voicemail here, which I'm going to attempt to play. You cue that up. Um, we got a we got a message on the blog page, xmenpodcast.com, from Scott, who also says, I never write into a podcast, but I want to know I love the supplemental stuff. Keep it up. Hi there. This is Alex. You asked about uh, whether we enjoy the supplemental material, and I would say that for my part, I very much do. So keep it up. Don't uh, make it the main focus of the podcast, though. Just give it the attention that it's due. You also had some uh, question marks about Longshot. As a fan of the character, I think I can elucidate some of that. Firstly, his throwing knives are called flechette. F-L-E-C-H-E-T-T-E-S. That's the same thing that uh, Archangel's wings shoot out, too. The sad thing about Longshot as a character is that his story is rather cyclical. He uh, escapes from Mojo World and comes to the Marvel Universe, where he kind of joins the X-Men, grows in power, and then uh, comes back to the Mojoverse to overthrow Mojo, and then fails, and then gets his memory rewritten, like completely blanked out. And then he uh, escapes Mojo World again, and joins the X-Men, and grows in power, and goes back to the Mojoverse to overthrow Mojo, and fails, and gets his memory rewritten, and then escapes the Mojoverse. Um, So the the reason that he doesn't remember the things that happened in the Longshot miniseries are because he has had his memory erased since then. Um, I hope that that clears things up, and I look forward to more wonderful podcasts from you guys in the future. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah, I think uh, I think we were. He certainly spells out the whole long shot thing. Maybe, or actually, a lot better than we did. But I think we oh, were we, all we, on the same I, page. I honestly don't even know. <laughs> well, and the, the interesting thing is, uh, my recollection is, uh, we're we're going to read some comic books. Long shot will be there, and then long shot won't be there. Um, and then Jim Lee comes along like forty, fifty issues later, and there's like a teaser one page that he draws where he's got like things to come. And one of the things to come is long shot. And then I stopped reading and Jim Lee probably left this <laughs> left Marvel. So I I'm imagining that's what he's talking about of where long shot comes back, joins grows in power and then goes back to Mojo verse to fail again. Guess we'll find out. Uh, yeah. 10, 10 or 10 years. No, we'll, we'll probably get there sooner than that. Let's say two years, three years. Oh, wow. It's awfully ambitious. I don't know. <laughs> So there you go. Three votes for the supplemental material. Uh, we got and and flechettes. Flechettes. Uh, flechettes. Flechettes or slushettes? I think it's flechettes. He I said th- it was spelled with an F. Oh, I was just reading the Google Voice translation and it was wrong because it said oh. slushettes, but it's you know <laughs> those would be slashettes. <laughs> that was that was a band. The Slashettes? Yeah. Okay. It's all girl groups. They had knives and they would like cut up the audience. It didn't go over well. That's awesome. (laughs) We also got uh, a voice message from Andrew. Hey guys, this is Andrew calling from the Jersey Shore. Uh, 
You were asking us whether we wanted you to continue reading uh, supplementary material like X-Factor, New Mutants. Uh, I, for one, enjoyed that aspect of the show. I like hearing the context of the other goings-on in the X-Universe. Uh, and I also just happen to enjoy the X-Factor and New Mutants title, uh, probably, by the sound of it, more than YouTube. So uh, I vote. Keep it up. Thanks, guys. Love the show. Well, there you go. I guess that's all four votes for keeping the supplemental material. Not one person said, no, it sucks. Stop doing it. <laughs> yeah, so if you're out there and you think it sucks and we should stop doing it, you got to let us know, man. You're already like uh, you're already behind. There's 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 going to have to be at least four of you. Feel like so that we can have a tiebreaker. I feel like somebody's got to knock us down a peg or something. Although, and I know that you guys love to do that. I feel like uh, the supplemental material is now going to be the prime focus of our podcast from here on out. It's the supplemental podcast from now on. <laughs> Forget Uncanny X Men. Guess what happened in New Mutants and X Factor. Well, speaking of supplemental material, I suppose we should push on to that. Uh, I guess before we do that, though, and you want to chime in and let us know what you think about supplemental material, the future of X-Men, long shot cyclical storyline or what have you. Uh, do so by visiting us at www.xmenpodcast.com, facebook.com forward slash danger room podcast. You can Twitter us at danger room go, email us danger room at xmenpodcast.com, go out to iTunes or wherever you subscribe to podcasts and search for danger room. We really should be the only podcast using that name. And if not, we're going to sue. <laughs> I don't I don't think we are. <laughs> I can say it and I'm saying it. We're going to sue. Uh 501 Get X-Men is where you can leave us a voice message and hear your silky dulcet voice on a podcast. Isn't that exciting? It sure is. 501 we got, we got we got a lot of responses because of the supplemental stuff, that's yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh 501 Get X-Men that's 501 438 Our theme music is provided by Laszlo Hollyfeld. Um, I read X Factor number twenty six. But before we go into that, we got to cover uh, very quickly Captain America three thirty nine. We don't don't have to. Well, okay, I can do it very quickly. <laughs> Captain America fights famine in the uh, in the in the the, the, uh, the bread basket of America. Thank you. That's what I was looking yeah, for. It's like Nebraska or something. So Apocalypse, as we saw in the last issue of X-Factor, sent famine away to the farmlands of America. And now Captain America, actually, who isn't Captain America anymore, he's just Cap, goes with D-Man and um, Falcon and Nomad to fight famine. And they, of course, manage to get uh, famine to stop what they're doing. And famine shouts "master" and disappears. There's a um, there's a little subplot because there's a new Captain America, as you talked about from the last issue of Captain America you covered, where new Captain America and new Bucky are walking down the halls of some government building, and the Blob, Pyro, and Avalanche come around the corner with evil-looking smirks, and they're like, "Ain't you heard?" My old-time sparring partners, the excruciating X-Men, went off and got themselves killed, and I was there when it happened. How, how. This calls for a 20-keg salute. Which is I had a sad look on my face when I was there, but uh-huh. now I feel better about it. This is definitely not keeping with the spirit of X-Men number die. All three of those issues where... They, He's had time to reflect. He's you know, like... He, 
It's like, well, I, I saved Rogue's life in the last issue, so... I just know. remembered. Remember that time when I was in the circus and me and the circus took over the X-Men? X-Men were a bunch of rubes. <laughs> hey, Rube! Hey, Rube! Oh, that makes me laugh. And now they're dead. How, how, how. Anyways, it's a bad cameo by them. Yeah, it, at least they're connected. It's kind of neat that they're connected. We don't actually cover Spider-Man, but in this month's uh, issue of Spider-Man... A couple of things happen. Todd McFarlane starts. This is his first issue. Ooh. And uh, towards the end of the issue, when Spider-Man is on the pier or something like that, the the lights go out and there is a blackout in New York City. And there's a caption that says, tune into X-Factor 25 to see what's going on. And that's all they give us. And then a couple pages, Spider-Man fights some bad guys in the dark. And it's kind of neat the way that it all connects. And then at the end of that issue, we get our first cameo ever of Venom, which is exciting. Neat. Yeah. So, so yeah, back to X-Factor 26. I'm surprised there wasn't like a, uh, uh, this issue is a Fall of the Mutants tie-in with just the power outage. Um, I guess they have standards. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, X-Factor, the third part of the X-Factor Fall of the Mutants to me really feels like it should be the prologue. Like it should be like, like the issue after the Fall of the Mutants because like, is that a prologue or an epilogue? Uh, you're right. Up. No, it's an epilogue. Okay. Uh, you're right. It's, it should be, it, it, this should be the story after the fall of the mutants. And I think this has always been my problem with the X factors fall of the mutant story is that it's really two issues uh, and then an epilogue issue. And it doesn't, oh. it kind of loses its epicness because uh, it doesn't actually span all three issues. But what this is all about is, as the co- uh, title is called, Casualties in X-Factor. You know, a lot of damage occurred to New York City with the ship crashing. All of the police are like, we're going to arrest you, X-Factor. And X-Factor's like, yeah, you got to catch us first. And uh, so they don't, they avoid being arrested. The, the police kind of bicker back and forth as to whether they're heroes or villains. Uh, X-Factor, meanwhile, just kind of flies around uh, the city, saving people, transporting people to hospitals. Uh, Beast continues to use his strength and continues to get dumber. They ultimately end up um, at the same hospital as Trish Tilby. And they're kind of like, ooh, that Trish Tilby, she's terrible. And Trish is just like, no, I'm a reporter. I'm just covering a story. And I got a tip from Candy Southern that, Warren Worthington was attached to mutant hunters. So I followed up on the leads. And so she's kind of like, we've, she's kind of redeeming herself as like, look, I'm just a journalist. And she's kind of making peace with X factor. Uh, and beast is also kind of like, she's pretty. I like her. Well, she also says, I don't have anything against mutants, which is kind of a, a, a big deal. Yeah, that's right. That's kind of what this whole issue is all about is more and more people are like, Oh, mutants, maybe they aren't so bad. Um, after a lot of saving, uh, people, uh, Gene almost collapses and a couple of cops are like, you guys have been doing a lot of work. We got new orders from downtown. You guys are to be heroes and you're going to get a ticker tape parade, but right now you should go get some rest. And so as they are being escorted to the ship, because through this, this, uh, this whole thing it's been it's come to light that only x-men can cross the threshold of outside to inside and we get a we get a little um, flash over to apocalypse where he's like ha 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 my plan is working by only allowing mutants into my ship i am creating divisiveness between the mutants and the humans everything's coming to fruition which is dumb (laughs) it's really dumb 
Uh, and then, uh, meanwhile, as all of this is happening, nobody cares, but in the background, a TV is talking about the events in Dallas and a woman who is making a plea out to a man named Scott. Nobody cares because that's Dallas and this is New York City. And it's the exact same speech as in Uncanny X-Men. Yeah, it's like they coordinated it. Madeline Pryor. Gene and Cyclops have a kind of a, they have a big heart to heart throughout the issue in where Cyclops essentially empties his heart. And we kind I feel like we kind of retcon the whole Madeline thing here where he's like, I missed you so much. And I saw you in her and my life was over. So I figured I wanted my cake and I wanted to eat it too. And this is the only way I could have it. And so she loved me and I just went along with it. But really I only wanted you. And then you came back and then everything became a mess, and it's all my fault, and he broods and stuff. And and Jean is just like, after all these years, we found each other. Like, she just, just, I don't know. She's not like, you're weird. Something's wrong with you. Why couldn't you just move on? Why couldn't you mourn the appropriate amount of time and move on? I heard you were dating that woman that Magneto was. Why didn't you stay with hers? She didn't seem anything like me. Anyways. Um, you're right. And that, yes, it's totally or it's totally a retcon of all of the things that we saw before. Um, it kind of works, though, for me. I mean, it it does in the context Gene's of the response sort of works. If I ignore the first 25 issues of X Factor, where Scott is just like a waffle. Yeah. Look, I, I mean, I'm I'm. I'm criticizing, but in, in the way that this particular issue is written, maybe Louise Simonson just spent a little bit of extra time. Maybe she's giving it the woman's touch. I don't know, but it does work. They're, they they turn the relationship around. Jean feels empathy for him. She still loves him. Uh, and, and eventually she's just like, shut up, and uses her telekinetic powers to whip him around and force him to telekinetically kiss her. And then they pull away a little bit, and then they kiss and the camera fades away. And I believe for the second time in their relationship. No, actually not. I think this is the first time that they actually do it because the butt was Phoenix. Oh, yeah, you're right. So I, I, I first of all, they definitely do it as the camera's pulling away. They're going down onto this couch or something. And it's Apocalypse's couch. Apocalypse <laughs> just sat on that couch and looked at this giant window at New York. And now they're doing it on top of apocalypse i didn't even realize it was a couch i thought it was a computer console and they were doing it on the floor (laughs) in the middle in front of a giant window in front of a burning new york city they just decide to strip naked and do it on this huge platform look adam do you know how much pent-up sexual aggression exists here these people have loved each other since they were teenagers and this is the first time they get to indulge in carnal pleasures they don't care where it's well, been. apocalypse for Gene, not for scott well it's true <laughs> well yeah like i said he he he's gotten his cake and, and eaten it too now i wonder if there's Gene's had a, yeah scott's had a full-on relationship with madeline he had a baby and well, no, no, and and phoenix so my, my point here is after they get done i i just wonder if gene is confident enough in herself or if she's like huh i wonder if phoenix or madeline were better than me <laughs> and arguably this could be the deflowering of gene gray because think about it right they were teenagers they were in love and they never did it as far as we can tell and then she was a cocoon and then she never really had any relations after she was a cocoon until now this could be the first time she's having sex i guess so i feel really <laughs> I feel really strange about the phrase the deflowering of gene gray <laughs> you heard it here folks hashtag deflowering of gene gray uh Anyway, so everybody just just 
you know, let that sink in for a while. And, uh, you know, remember all those email addresses and stuff like right in, like, do you agree? Is this the first time that real Jean Grey and real Scott Summers have had sex? Cause I do believe it is. Okay. Anyways, uh, X men apparently saved some tailors who gave them new costumes and they put them on and they go on a ticker tape parade. Yeah. Cause they're running around in the horsemen of the apocalypse outfits for some reason. Yeah, it's kind of funny. Bobby is like, I'm not disturbing you, am I? As he barges. As Scott's getting dressed. Gene's dressed already. Scott's getting dressed. It's like, yep, they did it. They threw their costumes away and they threw on horseman costumes. What door is he bursting into? They, The room that they are doing it in has no doors. <laughs> yeah. Yep. They didn't care. <laughs> I don't know. They, 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 look, it's it's been like... They've been doing it like all afternoon in every closet and room. Like this is like the seventh time, and this so is like they're they're like you know trying to take up all the spaces inside her ship. Yes, they want to make sure that no no side of the ship is is not been explored. If you catch my drift, <laughs> and Apocalypse is just like, yep, this is the first test, and I'm pleased of their performance. <laughs> this is so stupid. I don't know. The whole apocalypse, like, everything's going according to plan. Apocalypse has cameras all over the ship, too. So he's just been watching this. He's like, oh, there they go in the janitor's closet. Oh, there they go in my master bedroom. (laughs) I think that was his plan all along. He's like, you know what I want to see? I want to see Scott (laughs) and Gene do it. So I'm going to make up this plan, these horsemen, this ship, concoct this whole thing where I try to take over New York. I'm going to let them defeat me. And then fireworks not to mention the fact that this is a bit of a spoiler but the ship itself is watching are are scott and gene gonna be kind of you know a little bit shy after that once they (laughs) learn about the ship oh my god God. it watched us we did it inside of a sentient being (laughs) yeah i also feel like ship is kind of a retcon i don't think that that was planned from day one yeah probably not oh but the the fact that x factor gets the ship that was apocalypse's plan all along because he's got all sorts of bases all over the place that are way more impressive but none of them have more cameras (laughs) that's yes yeah so there you go that was x factor so x factor has new outfits and we continue directly from the ticker tape parade in fantastic four number 312 where it turns out that the fantastic four who is now Thing, Torch, Crystal, and Miss Marvel, or I think her name is Sharon Ventura. No, Sharon Friedlander. No, Sharon Friedlander's from the X-Men. Oh, you're right. I always get them. Sharon Ventura. I get them confused. Yes. And she she recently just became another thing. Yes, she did. uh, They're there with, uh, they are also at the ticker tape parade watching the X-Men go by. X-Factor. X-Factor go by. And uh, Doctor Doom and Black Panther are also there as... uh, Black Panther is chaperoning Dr. Doom, who doesn't have a home right now. When all of a sudden, a bunch of Doom, well, they're not Doom bots. They're like... They're Doom Stormtroopers or something like that. Yeah, they're Doom Doom Stormtroopers. They attack the city and X-Factor and Fantastic Four kind of team up with Dr. Doom for a little while to stop all of the Stormtroopers. And then Dr. Doom backstabs all of them and kidnaps Beast and... Sharon, Sharon's kind of upset that she's a thing, so she wants to kill herself. Beast is kind of staying out of the action because Iceman's Iceman told him to because he doesn't want to get him any dumber. And uh, they get kidnapped. Uh, Doctor Doom takes them to a secret laboratory in underneath the Fantastic Four uh, 
building, whatever that's called. <laughs> sure. Doom Plaza. Old Freedom's Plaza. And uh, Beast convinces Sharon to chin up and attack Dr. Doom. And she does. And Beast also decides to attack, getting even dumber to the point that he's a drooling kind of monster beast. And uh, why does Thing attack Beast? Oh, I guess because Beast is so out of control that he's just kind of like destroying everything. So Thing has to tackle Beast, hold him back. And Cyclops manages to stop uh, Doctor Doom with the help of the Black Panther. And uh, and that's kind of how it ends. Miss Marvel now has her, uh, her, her confidence back. Yay! What are my problems compared to the Beast's? I've always prided myself with my mind and he's, he's... He's losing his mind, and he's—it's worth him to—it's worth it to him to attack Doctor Doom, even though he's losing his mind. I gotta stop moaning. <laughs> yep. Yep. Or doodle. This was this was fun. I mean, if you're reading Fantastic Four, I guess it's a little more fun. Eh. All right, it was okay. It's not really uh its not really a X Factor centric issue. They're—they're they're just kind of in it. It's an official new mutant or fall of the mutants tie-in, though. Yeah. Well, it makes. I'm in. Technically, it takes place after the story of Fall of the New Moons, but, you know, whatever. It directly ties into that issue of X-Factor, so, okay. Uh, New Mutants 62 um, didn't really have to do with anything. Nope. <laughs> Nothing really happens. Um, it's a it's a basically a side story where Magma, who has joined with the Hellions, has been called by her father to rejoin him in Nova Roma. And I guess she's going to be married off to somebody. She doesn't want to go, but Emma Frost wants to create a connection with her father. So she sends Hellion, and there's some sort of weird budding uh, romance between Hellion and Magma happening. So she sends Hellion with them, and the plane that they're in crash lands in the middle of the jungle, and they have to survive together. And uh, they manage to survive together, learning a whole bunch more about each other and Sharing a kiss, getting to know one another, and exposing their deepest, darkest secrets and fears. And then her father shows up at the end. There's also kind of a, a sub-ish plot of where uh, Magma is unsure as to whether she's feeling what she's feeling or if Empath is forcing her to feel those feelings. Right. And even he's kind of unsure because he's like, I can't help knowing what people think. It's part of my powers. And it sucks, but you know, I, I can't, I can't not do it. The only good thing out of this issue is you get a second dimension to empath. Up until now, he's just been kind of this sleazy guy that controls people's mind and makes them like fawn over him. But in yeah, here, he shows his vulnerability and his, uh, yeah, things like that. Yeah, it was it was a decent issue. I mean, it was kind of didn't really have to do with anything, but you know, it was enjoyable. It was yeah. a good read. Yeah, it's fine. Uh, the demons are in it for like a page and they're just kind of crying over Doug still and also Colossus, who they think is dead. Right. And I also read uh, Spellbound number four, which really doesn't have anything to do with anything. I'm not even sure what Spellbound is, but it, it's got the new mutants in it and Lila Shanae. <laughs> it's a four part miniseries I saw and... It says Fall of the Mutants on it, but other than that, I, I couldn't find a copy of Spellbound, so I didn't read it. It is uh, it is number four in a six-issue bi-weekly series. Oh, sorry. And in this issue, the members of 
Spellbound or something. <laughs> I don't even know if that's a team. Uh, the character, the the people that are in the comic book called Spellbound, some of them are in a band, and the band is opening for Lila Cheney. There's a character called Spellbinder. She's the main character. Yes, she is a. Um, she's not really the main character. The main character is kind of her brother. Dude, I'm looking at a database right now of comic books. And it says character appearances, main characters, spellbinder. Okay, but I read the issue. And I did some uh, future work. And after the six-issue uh, series in which they managed to defeat the evil foe of Zaxx, Z-X-A-X-Z. So, Zixax. It's Zixax. Yeah. It's not a Matapia. They appear in, I think, another short miniseries in the pages of Marvel Comics Presents in which Spellbinder defeats Zixax and becomes the villain. And then they never they never again appear in the pages of Marvel Comics. None of these characters. That doesn't surprise me. You mean uh, Doc Smoot never shows up again? No, not not even uh, Ortiz or Tough. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Con- oh, Conal Duran is in this. But, of course, she is the drummer of... Uh, Lila Shanae. So yeah, they they apparently they're a really good band. They have a weird uh, alien drummer named Snarl. Mm-hmm. Snarl. And uh, they fight Zigzags, and the New Mutants help them fight Zigzags. And Lila transports them over to her dimension, so that including the entire audience, so that they can have power over Zigzags. And then eventually they go back. It was okay. Yeah. I didn't know what was going on. Sounds super. For an issue where I had no idea what was going on, it was pretty good. Okay. <laughs> I was curious enough enough to curious enough to do some research into who this Spellbinder and Roy Fortune people were. Well, <clears throat> I wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, I was wrong. It doesn't actually say anything about Fall of the Mutants. It's only a New Mutants tie-in, probably because of the characters you mentioned that are in it. Otherwise, the rest of them don't have New Mutants. Yeah, no, this is the only one with the New Mutants in it. It's got... Cannonball and Magic and Warlock. Um, and Lila, Cheney, and Guido are also in it. Who's Guido? Guido is Lila Cheney's bodyguard. It's not Guido? Oh, I've always called him Guido. Isn't but it, I suppose. Isn't it G U I D O? It is, but yeah. I just always assumed that was pronounced Guido. Strong guy. Yes, it's strong guy, but he's not strong guy yet. Yeah, okay. It could be Guido, but I always, I always thought it was Guido. I, I, don't, I don't know. I didn't have to ask an Italian. <laughs> all right well there you go um uh so if you you uh this is this is a weird uh, uh time for me because i i am without uh trade physical tangible paperback i think oh, I, I think you I, have the omnibus that kind of starts maybe it's called the inferno prologue yeah and um i i cracked it open and compared to the fall of the mutants omnibus it has got way cheaper paper oh that's too bad yeah it's kind of sad i These new omnibuses are kind of che- cheaping out i just uh just just for the future i picked up um all of the in well not all of it i should say i picked up the inferno volume one inferno volume two i did not pick up the inferno tie-ins because there's a lot of those uh but the what do you say? Prelude to Inferno right now is like eighty dollars, and I don't really want to spend eighty dollars. Eighty? I think it. I think it retails at a hundred. So that's like it retails at one hundred and twenty-five. So eighty-five is actually not that much bad of a price. Uh, but I bought. Oh wait, no, I, I take that back. I think I did buy it. Oh, 
I, I think there you I, go. I bought a used copy for $67. And, there you go. And, and you'll get a review of that. I bought it from an Amazon shop where it said uh, that it was used, but then in the description it said, never read mint condition, $67. Nice. I might be, uh, yeah, yeah. I actually surprised myself. I literally just made that purchase like two hours ago. Oh. <laughs> so so hopefully it's here in time uh yeah. otherwise a lot of that material not not a lot well a lot of that material is covered in the um uh uh extinction agenda like the big extinction agenda has oh, yeah, that's right yeah. all of the prelude material which i Everything believe that takes place in genosha yeah it covers all that then it skips all of the inferno and then goes to like way beyond to extinction agenda so uh yeah yeah i got lots of stuff yeah, the 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 Inferno prologue or prelude to Inferno or whatever it is is uh, I was flipping through it and it's kind of like it does like a couple of issues of X Factor, then a couple of issues of X Men, then a couple of issues of New Mutants. So I don't know if it's chronological or how how they worked it all out, but it's all in there. It's a lot of issues. So cheap paper. Ugh. Enjoy your cheap paper <laughs> <laughs> from my used book, which is supposedly mint condition. All right, then. Well, there you go. So new material on its way uh, and and goodness to come. So I don't know. I feel like this covers this. This closes like like a like we've we've done with another chapter of the X-Men. I feel I like it through Fall of Mutants. I feel like uh, I feel like the the old X-Men is like one chapter. And then I feel like 94 to now, which is a long ways to go. Unless you can think of another natural breaking point. I feel like this is like another section. And so then the, the X-Men are legends. And, and that's then, where we, we move on. And then maybe perhaps uh, perhaps 228 to uh, X-Men number one. Maybe that's like the next chunk. I don't know. I'll have to. I'll have to make that call when we get to that point. But but I feel like this 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 is a bookend. I've read these issues all before, but I I've only read them once before, so all of this is kind of new to me. Um, so I'm I'm willing to accept that. Okay. Good. All right. Well then, everybody. I think we've gone long enough. Uh, until next week. My name is Jeremy. My name is Adam. And the danger room is closed. Fleshettes. Fleshettes. Fleshettes.